0: You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics.
1: No, I wouldn't do anything different. Um, I wish things would be a little different. Coach Osborne was this way. He wasn't quick to crumble kids up and throw them away. Some of the kids that are in some of those situations, if, if they're gone out of this program, um, that road doesn't lead to very many good places. So as long as I'm here, I'm going to try to help these young men as much as I can. That's the promise I make to their parents. When I sit in their living room and tell them we're going to try to help them no matter what, there's certain things that they know if they do, I'm not going to help them, and they're on their own. But I, I want what's best for all these guys, so we're going to try to continue to help them as long as they can be helped, and there always comes to a point where you have to throw your hands up and say, we tried. Until then, we want to do what's right by them, because I think that's the right thing to do. We certainly try to do everything we can for Mo, and hopefully it works out well. If you're not going to
2: live up to the standard of what we've set for Nebraska, you know we, we've said from day one, you know we, uh, you know we're going to either straighten you out or we don't want you here. And uh, you know it's it's one of those deals where you know we set a standard. If you're not willing to go out there and you know live up to that standard, we we got a problem with that. And I, I'm not going to be I'm not going to be the one sentences anyone. You know whatever the coaches decide, that's what we'll do. And you know whatever Coach Frost ends up deciding, you know we're going to stand by him and back him up.
3: And welcome here to this edition of the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Nate Klaus. As you heard, Jack Stahl um, just talking in big picture gen- generalities about players not abiding by the rules and clearly referencing the Maurice Washington situation as most of the talk this week at Nebraska has been about off-the-field stuff as uh, Nebraska getting ready for Saturday's 2.30 game at Indiana. Uh, they officially parted ways with Maurice Washington and... You know, I got a little bit more clarity, guys, here later in the week. And I don't know if it was really just one specific incident, whether to me it was more a collection of everything. And what I was told was, you know, bottom line is he just wasn't being a good teammate. He wasn't being a good Husker. And, you know, for a guy that's only given you about 29 yards rushing per game in four Big Ten conference games, is it worth all of this? Is the lemon worth squeezing anymore for what Maurice Washington was, was doing was, the bad really worth it, and I think at the end of the day, Scott Frost is like we tried, and now we move on.
4: Well, especially um, you know when that production on the field. you at the last three games he played and he didn't do anything, and so no, the lemon was not worth continuing to squeeze. Uh, especially with you know all the other stuff that went with it, and um, you know we don't know what happened behind the scenes. You know about you know, missing meetings or what he did at practice or whatever it was, but we did see. Uh, the game when uh, they spent the entire first half just on the bench by himself, remember? Like, not around his teammates. There's, a, I think KTV had a screenshot uh, from the sideline. As Wondell scored
3: yeah, the 42-yard touchdown.
4: Right, right. So all his teams are up on the sideline celebrating, and there's Maurice with his helmet off, kind of pouting by himself. Uh, and then when he got hurt uh, in that one game, um, when he got... Illinois. Illinois game, yeah, when he went to the locker room and is tweeting at Larry the Cable Guy. And Polini, Yeah, and Polini or whatever. Uh, like, I mean, those are the types of things... that. Just show that this is a guy that's not interested in putting the team first. I mean, he was always kind of seemingly about himself and whatever was best for him, and that was great when he was playing well. But when things started to wear on him, and you know he got dinged up a little bit and couldn't play, and uh, things got hard, uh, we saw how quickly things flipped. And so you paired all that with you know obviously his situation in California. Uh, it's just, it just I don't think Frost and the staff had much of a choice but to cut ties.
2: Well, the thing about it is the staff has not shied away from letting it be known that they've kind of gone out of their way to to help him along and to kind of, you know, kind of hold his hand through certain situations and make sure that he's getting from point A to point B on time and doing this right and doing that right and trying to trying to teach him and mold him and, you know, going really bending over backwards for him in a lot of ways and and I think there becomes a point in time where that can be counterproductive to your team and when when someone's getting special treatment or or is able to you know maybe the rules are bending a little bit for him or whatever i think it can be counterproductive and um, you know, and, and so I, I look at this as maybe a situation where, yeah, Maurice Washington is a supremely talented player, but you know, if if you take that away, if you take that out of the locker room, does do, does the team come together a little bit more? Is it? it could this be a, a situation of addition by subtraction type of deal? And um, you know, I, that remains to be seen. But I, I would not be surprised if that is the case.
3: Well, and was he doing the things off the field, like going to classes, uh, maintaining grades that needed to be maintained? Was he doing the things in the weight room to make gains? Was he following the nutrition plan? Uh, We know he had an incident with marijuana over the summer uh, where a hot pipe was found on him um, in a dorm room inside Memorial Stadium as he had a pending uh, thing over him with a felony charge um, in California. So, you know, he's given he's been given multiple opportunities and Scott Frost, you know, stuck his neck out for this guy and really put his reputation on the line. Um, So this was hard for him to do. I mean, because I think he, like a lot of people, want to see the good in everybody and try to find that good and make them a better man. And and this was a case where um, clearly he was not taking to the mentorship and the guidance of what Nebraska football could maybe have done for Maurice Washington.
4: Well, especially with, uh, you know, where Frost was as a player himself here. I mean, he was around a lot of teammates that – had it not been for that structure uh, of the football program, who knows where their lives would have ended up. And, you know, clearly we saw some of that with, um, you know, when football's taken away, uh, guys can fall apart pretty quickly. And so I think he understands, you know, having, you know, played for Tom Osborne and seen the way that he's handled those types of situations, how valuable and important those are just for, for the people involved, you know, with some of those players that have those backgrounds where, um, you know, sometimes making the right decision is, is hard. Uh, and you know, he wanted to be the guy that helped Maurice get things back on track. And I think it went beyond just being an exceptional talent and wanting that potential to be realized. It's, you know, he, he wanted to look out for Maurice as a person. And, uh, I think it just came down to a situation where, you know, you can only have the dog bite your hand when you're trying to feed it so many times before you stop feeding it. And I think that's just kind of the point where they got to where, um, uh, you know, Maurice, kind of he needs to help himself you know everybody's been trying to help him for a long time but at some point you got to figure things out on your own I think a good question to ask is would Nebraska
2: go through this trouble with Maurice Washington had it not been for a, a very shortened window of them trying to piece together that 2018 class um, and, and trying to get the the best players that were left available in that short amount of time and And I don't know if they would have. I mean, you saw Maurice at one point in time had pretty much every big offer in the country. He could have gone anywhere, but all those teams kind of fell off the map. He was expelled
3: from school. Yeah, he
2: was expelled from school. I mean, there were a lot of red flags, and I think a lot of the teams fell off uh, as signing day approached. And. Um, but Nebraska had had to fill that class in, in a hurry you know, with a, a large amount in transition of transition classes.
3: Nate, they we, never pan out. We, we've I mean, seen very enough rarely. now. There's yeah. not been really any that have been great at Nebraska. No, very rarely
2: do you get a transition class that pans out, and, and a lot of it is because you don't have that uh, you don't have that time to, to really get to know the players and and kind of get to uh, you know you know, get to know them on and off the field and know what they're like and and create those relationships with them. You just – you have to go out and get the best available – people. And, you know, whether that's, whether they're good people, bad people, or whether they have baggage or no baggage, whatever. Uh, and, and more times than not, those classes don't really pan out all that well. And, and I'm not sure had it, had it been a regular recruiting cycle, I'm not sure if Nebraska would have put up with some of that stuff, um, you know, with Maurice Washington.
3: Well, we got a big game to talk about this week, guys, Nebraska, Indiana. It's a coin flip game. I think Hoosiers started out as a slight one or two point favorite. Now Nebraska is a one or two point favorite. Lots of injury questions on both sides of this with key players at positions like quarterback um, and running back for Nebraska and obviously quarterback for Indiana. So uh, we've got a lot to break down and discuss as the Hoosiers are coming in uh, with a chance to get to six wins quicker than they ever have in the 21st century uh, where Nebraska, um, this win would do a lot to kind of solidify you know, maybe getting to a bowl game in a year where we thought that was a given, where right now that doesn't seem – you know, like it's a given. And this is a big part of them having to get to uh, bowl eligibility. So we've got a lot to break down and discuss here on this week's edition
0: of the Husker online show. You're listening to the Husker online show, your authority on Nebraska athletics.
4: Oh yeah, most definitely. Um, I'm just ready to carry the ball. That's all.
1: He's getting better at it all the time. I think probably the big thing was the vision and a little bit of patience in in running in our kind of scheme. Um, It's not so downhill and hit right now. We saw how natural he was when we lined him up right behind the center and gave it to him. Uh, He's learning how to run in our scheme a little better and I think he's been getting better every week Uh, so he'll continue to improve. And welcome
3: here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin and Nate Klaus, as uh, we're talking offensive storylines. And that was Scott Frost and Diedrich Mills, as he is going to have to be a big part of Nebraska's offense now without Maurice Washington. And I think it was trending that way anyway, uh, as well with questions with Wanda Robinson. Uh, this um, segment of the Husker Online Show brought to you by Tanner's Sports Bar and Grill Get on into Tanner's. If you're not coming down to Lincoln, watch the Husker game there and any one of those Omaha or Lincoln locations. Also go into Tanner's after the game. Um, watch the rest of the, the evening games, all the NFL action. Get on into any of those Tanner's sports bar locations in Omaha and in Lincoln, guys. And you, know, you look at Dedrick Mills and – I thought it was interesting that Ryan held the running backs coach compared it a little bit to the situation with Devine Ozigbo. He goes, I'm not saying he's going to be like Devine, but once Devine, you know, when it became clear that he had to take on more ownership and be the guy, he rose up and they have a lot of confidence. And I've had people on the staff tell me like, you know, you'll be surprised how well Mills can catch the ball out of the backfield. He's he's going to be a good receiver threat, and he's a lot better at it than anyone realizes right now.
4: Well, a lot of it, I think, just comes down to getting the opportunities to showcase what he can do. Right now, uh, it seems like his role has been kind of isolated to being the, the quote-unquote power back who's doing the majority of the work between the tackles, which is certainly part of his strength, but uh, this staff has been really high on Diedrich for a long time, you uh, know, particularly Ryan Held, and so now, uh, just like Devine did, you know, a year ago, uh, Diedrich's going to get a chance to to show that he's a little bit more than just that that thud back that's going to gain you three yards up the middle. So, I'm curious to see what he can do, but I'm more curious to see. What happens in the rotation after him? Will this finally be the window of opportunity for Ramir Johnson? Um, you know, obviously Wandale is going to have a say in that when, you know, depending on his health. But you know, if not Ramir, then is it Wyatt Mazur who's coming off a concussion? Is it Rody R- Belt? Rody Belt who continues to get his name brought up. I uh, they got a lot of questions to answer. So we know Dedrick Mills, I think, is going to be capable of handling a bigger workload, but. What happens after him when he needs a break um, or has to miss any snaps for whatever reason? Um, do they finally let loose on Ramir Johnson after saying, comparing him as a, as a jet on the, on the tarmac getting ready to take off? Uh, are they finally going to let him fly? We'll see.
2: Yeah, as far as Mills go, I, I think this is, this could be the perfect scenario for him because Having been able to, to get to know him during the recruiting process a little bit and, and talking with him here, I mean, I think this is the type of opportunity he really relishes, um, and he's somebody who seems to get stronger as the game goes along. The more carries he gets, the, the more in rhythm and, and stronger that, that he gets. I mean, this is a guy – Who likes to be the workhorse? He likes to have a load put on him. You know, in junior college, he he averaged thirty plus carries per game, and uh, and and loved that. You know, and and I think that uh, I think that he would love the opportunity to do that at Nebraska, and and we'll see what happens. Also interested to see about Ramir Johnson too. I mean, this is a guy um, who he. I mean, he said himself that he would ultimately like to keep his red shirt. Uh, you know, and he, he knows that he you know, has, has not, may not have been ready earlier in the year, and, and he's totally fine with that. He's been completely patient, no, not frustrated with his playing time or lack of playing time so far. But uh, at the same time, I think he, he's also ready to show what he can do and, and is ready, more importantly, to help the team however he can.
3: Yeah, it will be interesting as we talk about Ramirez Johnson here Just what they do, I I think it's almost like a two-game audition. This week in Purdue are going to be really, really big to decide: is it worth using and playing Ramir Johnson against Iowa, Maryland, and Wisconsin, or maybe a bowl game? And um, there's there's a lot of that, you know, as far as those decisions go. And I've said this many times: to me, it's the most frustrating thing about this new redshirt rule is just the indecision it causes you to make with roster decisions in situations like this where. You know, I think three years ago, you probably would say, well, we have to play Ramir Johnson. we got to pull the red shirt and go. And I think now you almost get greedy with those four games and really, really overthink how you want to use it.
4: Well, I think it also goes into this whole – I know people are really getting tired of hearing how close young guys are to finally seeing a rotation at any spot, not just running back. But I think part of that is because of how – uh, much thought and maybe overthinking is going into balancing these four games and how they're going to be used and what matchup is best suited for each individual player. Guys aren't getting the reps they normally would get. If it was just a clear cut, this guy's playing or this guy's not. I mean, if you could throw a guy in there, you're going to rep him every week, every day, as if he's going to help you play. Whereas now, you know, that's, it's kind of a week-to-week basis. You know, does this defense suit itself well to this player? Okay, cool. He does. He does. We'll rep them a little bit now, but we're not sure if we're going to play them. Like, I think all this indecision and, you know, fluctuating uh, week-to-week decision that go into, into this redshirt rule is stunting the development of some of these young guys just because I think it limits the amount of reps they get during the week in practice.
2: Or you're rotating reps. You know, I, I know that some guys have been elevated up to, to I mean, even special teams-wise. Yeah. They've been elevated up to the starting roles in, in special teams and been repping with the top units. For, for a handful of weeks, and then they've been moved back down to allow some other fresh faces to come up. It, it is very strange, and it, it's a whole other layer that I think, you know, the staff's never really had to deal with. I know Greg Austin earlier in the week kind of talked about it, and he said, well, look, you know, as an offensive line coach, there's very rarely do you have true freshmen that are ready to play. But this rule, you know, kind of has had to is added an extra layer of thought and, and you know, management style that, that goes into it. Um, that that he's never really had to deal with before, even though he's a young coach, and uh, you know, I, th- I think that can be said for everybody. They they talk about it weekly, not even. I mean, it's pretty much a daily conversation that the staff has, and and so, um, yeah, you know, I, I think I, I don't envy him <laughs> how to use these guys, how not to use them. I think it's easy to kind of sit back uh, as as a you know the media or fans and kind of question it, but I'm sure that uh, I mean if you're not putting thought into it, then then you you could be considered careless with it all too. And, and as
3: it stands right now, there have been four true freshmen that have played more than four games, are at four games. Wandell Robinson Quentin Newsom, who I think people could argue has his four games really been utilized just on special teams only. Garrett Nelson, his role is going to increase. Um, he, he's looking to take about 25 snaps this week, according to Javon, Javon DeWitt. And then the surprise one's Luke Reimer. Uh, but you've got Darian Chase at three games. Noah Paula Gates is at three games. Um, ben Hart's at one. Ramir Johnson's at two. Miles Farmer's at two. Javen Wright's played one. Keem Green's played one. McCaffrey's played one. Hickman's played one. So you got a number of guys with room to play with, Nate. Um, But any surprises of those four guys that have burnt the shirts? I mean, obviously, Reimer's a surprise because he's a walk-on. Um, but you surprised Quentin Newsome. That's the one that kind of maybe jumps out. Um, has it been worthwhile, you think, at this point for him?
2: Yeah, I'm not really surprised by that. But at the same time, you know, you haven't really seen any splash plays, or you know, I, I can't remember a time where I've been like, oh wow, that was.
3: Well, special teams has been bad overall. Yeah,
2: yeah, special teams have not been great. So, um, you know, coming into the season, I I expected that Newsome would probably be one of those guys that would burn his red shirt, but. Um, so I can't say I'm surprised that he has. But at the same time, I, maybe I've been a little surprised that, that he, you know, his, his time on the football field hasn't been more noteworthy.
3: Will Chase go for? You think Robin or Nate?
2: You think he goes over four or stays at four? I think so. If if he's he's at three, if he's at three right now, I wouldn't be surprised. If I mean, look, they need they need somebody to step
4: up at, at that wide receiver position. And Troy Walters on Wednesday mentioned that he was one of those young guys that got a lot of reps over the bye that they really wanted to see what they have in him and how he can help them going forward. So I mean, the fact that he's at three right now, the desperate need for more receiver depth to elevate. I think they're just you know waiting for Darian to finally prove in practice that he's ready to do it in the game
3: and people have asked well what about like um a guy like um uh warner oh he's already redshirted. so but it's funny a lot of people have asked well you try to save him like well he's actually in his third year in the yep. program yeah. and, and he re- he redshirted uh, um under mike riley so he's not up for it but uh, you know we'll talk about pickering more later in the show but he'll, he'll be one that will be interesting to watch but uh, when we come back we're going to talk defense lots to talk about here as nebraska Went back to the basics this week to try to get things shored up um, with a good Indiana offense coming to Lincoln. That's next. You're
0: listening to the Husker Online Show. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. But obviously, anytime you put
2: that shirt on, it, it better mean a lot. Have we earned the right to wear that? Probably not. Um, but but that's what it's scheduled to be worn, so it better mean a lot this week, and you better represent it when you put it on. I mean, the whole team's
3: excited for sure. Just you know, just something different, switch it up. You know, get get some, uh, give somebody, everybody something to look forward to going into the week and all that good stuff. But of course, on the, the guys that's actually wearing black shirts every week, you know, that's just that's the ultimate, you know, what I'm saying, game uniform. So I can't wait to really put it on and really be a black shirt. And we're back here on the Husker Line Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Nate Klaus. Guys, it's alternate jersey week in Memorial Stadium as Nebraska will wear the black, uh, the Adidas alternate black jerseys that they're actually not alternates. These are going to be permanent third jerseys uh, that that are going to hang in the equipment closet forever. Um, The the problem with this year at this alternate is it had to be worn at home And the thought was, wear it after a good defensive performance. Well, okay, now with this deal, Nebraska didn't play back-to-back home games all but one time this year. So they had to have played well on the road and then bring them home and wear the next week. And, you know, Illinois, you could have made a case, guys, that, okay, they played well, they got the win at Illinois as a defense, but did you really want to wear them against Ohio State, knowing kind of what what that was going to (laughs) be? And honestly – Call me crazy, but I thought Northwestern yeah. on paper you're like okay, this is like the worst offense in the country coming into Lincoln. Let let's wear the black shirts this week and and make it look good and and talk about great defensive play. Uh, they didn't do it though because it was following Ohio State. Well, now they got to wear them following Minnesota because it's either this game, Wisconsin, or Iowa um, at that point. And you know they chose the Indiana game <laughs> rightfully so. Rightfully so. Um, with where the season's at and. You can get the sense. I mean, this is not – I mean, it's kind of a pain in the rear, but they have to do it with the Adidas partnership.
4: Well, and they're in a difficult situation because of the way that they set it up. You know, the fact that they – Home game only. they qualified it with this is going to be something that's earned. Well, there haven't been many opportunities, like you said, and they're running out of home games. And so this is really the the last – quote-unquote good opportunity to wear them in a game that you might fare well uh you know and i hate that we're having this conversation
3: i I mean it's just like so defeatist sounding but i mean it's reality at this at this point today
4: yeah and so it's kind of one of those things that you'd prefer not even address and i would say this is probably like the the least excitement around an alternate <laughs> uniform that i've certainly experienced uh and i don't know they they better hope that they play well because if this is something they want to bring out every year um like you said I, that's why they didn't wear them against ohio state because uh we've seen people want to like burn the alternates as soon as uh, they don't have a good performance and so i think that they'd run into a situation um in a lot of those other games left on the schedule that uh, maybe they have a chance to avoid against an indiana team that's got some quarterback injury issues of their own
2: yeah i mean th- the way I look at it is just another opportunity to kind of go out there and and create something, you know, seize seize the moment type of deal. And, and you know, Minnesota was definitely a seize the moment type of game. This game is all of a sudden turned into like a must win situation. Well, I mean, no better time to to put those alternate jerseys on and and have a little bit more. I don't know if motivation is the right word, but just kind of go out there and seize the moment and, and kind of maybe turn this into something. You know, the, Like they talked about at the beginning of the year, this is going to be you know a, a jersey that, that they are going to continue to have and, and have the opportunity to wear. And um, maybe this could be the start of, of something with these jerseys going forward. Well, yeah, you
3: look at it like this. I mean, the black shirt tradition, how it came about, it just happened in, in the 60s. And in a lot of ways, Scott Frost jumped out in front of this and said, let's start a new tradition. And, you know, he wants this to be something 50 years from now that they talk about. In 2019, Nebraska created a third black jersey to wear, um, you know, in historically games, good games, and the defense plays well. But, <laughs> I mean, it's a good thought, isn't it? I mean – Yeah, but...
2: I like it. I like the, the thought, and I like where they're coming from, but – It just has not played out that way. Nothing has played out as well.
4: Yeah, Yeah, so (laughs) I think the jerseys are the least of their concerns. But uh, you know, the one spin you can have to it is if they go out and and play well, maybe they can look at that jersey as a source of motivation. All of a sudden, it takes on a whole new light.
3: You're listening here to the Husker Alliance Show as we talk defensive storylines going into Indiana, and I'll tell you the big one is Michael Penix Jr., the quarterback for the Hoosiers. If he plays, um, I know people have tried to say that they're not much different with or without him, but you know, I've talked to our folks at Indiana Rivals. He's a big part of their offense. Um, they have looked their best when he's the quarterback. He throws it better. He runs it better. Um, He could give Nebraska a lot of problems. Um, They like to run it off tackle a lot, um, causing problems with the perimeter of the defenses.
4: (laughs) That hasn't been an issue. Um,
3: So that, you know, (laughs) this matches right up with Nebraska. But um, that's a big thing, guys. Uh, You know, this Pennix guy – I just look at him and and how he's played and the way he plays, and I'm like, I've I've already seen Alex Davis miss him on the perimeter about four times. This is my dreams this week. Um, so you know he's he's it's going to be a tough matchup if he's healthy.
4: Well, and that whole zone read element with a, a mobile quarterback for a this defense, sucks everybody in, yeah, for a defense that's already having trouble identifying plays. I mean, that Minnesota game, uh, the film as Scott Frost said, showed that it wasn't just a matter of Minnesota beating him up physically and moving him around they were taking themselves out of plays by trying to anticipate plays and missing completely. And um, I'll go back to my favorite term uh, from Eric Shenander. They were a lot of eye violators out there and uh, guys, you know, seeing ghosts like Sam Darnold, where they thought that they knew it was coming and you know, like I said, you know, we're completely out of position to where they didn't even really need to be blocked, and so that that zone read and you know the quarterback run game creates a whole other bag of issues for you. Where again, you you saw you know you joke about Alex Davis, he's been one of the main culprits but certainly not the only one of guys that just guess wrong and they go after the running back or take themselves out of plays leaving a lot of green for that quarterback to run and if that quarterback is if Penix is healthy um, his athletic ability could cause a lot of issues for that defense yeah unfortunately
2: for Nebraska you've been able to see just how effective those types of offenses can be when operated at a high level and Minnesota certainly did that you know they they caught Nebraska um, you know, guessing wrong. They caught him, you know,
4: carrying, you know. Even Northwestern. Yeah,
2: though. I mean, shoot. Yeah, yeah, Northwestern. Um, that anemic offense got going with yeah. the quarterback run game. So, yeah, you – if you're Nebraska, you certainly hope that – Penix is not going to be the guy because he does give them a a decisive advantage in my opinion. And
3: Nate, Tom Allen, we've seen him and his staff on the road every year when we go on the satellite camp trips and the great guys, we've talked to a few of them. We talked to Tom Allen at breakfast this past year um, on one of our trips, and they've done a really good job of adding players from Florida and Georgia uh, to that roster. I mean, he's, he's, you know, a lot a lot of those guys on that staff are, are Tampa area, Florida area type guys that, you know, they, they recruit and try to go after a lot of the same guys Nebraska does.
2: Yeah, I mean, honestly, if you look at a lot of players that Nebraska is after, a uh, large majority of them also have an offer from Indiana. Now, not all of them are considering Indiana, but the Hoosiers are pulling good talent out of the South, especially Florida and Georgia. Um, and they kind of have, you know, a similar model to what Nebraska is trying to implement and, and pulling a certain amount of their talent out of the, out of those regions. And, um, and it's because there's our ton of talent down there. So, uh, I mean, it, it definitely makes sense, but they've upgraded uh, all their skill positions, uh, both sides of the football. Um, you know, and there has been a couple players where Nebraska's lost out to to the Hoosiers, uh, and we're going to see them in Memorial Stadium this weekend, most most notably Tywan Mullen, a cornerback. Yeah, uh, is he the, playing a lot for he's, him He's starting for them. So, uh, you know, he's he's probably the most notable guy. But, I mean, across the board, they've done a very good job of recruiting some speed and some, some athleticism from down south.
3: Well, it should be an interesting matchup for the Blackshirts to see how they come out in the black and how the crowd – Um, embraces them most importantly coming back to Memorial Stadium with the bye week and a bad performance Uh, this is a big week in in the Scott Frost era as as we move forward but when we come back Husker Online intern Mike Wheeler will join us in studio and we'll take all of your questions here going into Saturday in the mailbag that's next here you're listening to the Husker Online show
0: this is Husker Online your authority on Nebraska athletics He's
3: been kicking for a little bit and now slowly reintroducing him back. Like I said, we try to what we try to do is keep a kick a kick count on those guys like you do with a pitcher, right? And so you slowly reintegrate him back into how many kicks he can get in the day. And so he had about 20 kicks the other day, which was good. This Today will be a little bit more than that, and then we'll progress as we go. And we're back here on the Husker Online Show. That was special teams coordinator Javon DeWitt updating the status of kicker Barrett Pickering, who has not played all year but could play Saturday for Nebraska, which would – be a huge deal to get him back if he's 100%. Sean Callahan, Robin Washington, Nate Klaus, we bring in Husker Online intern Mike Wheeler as it's time to take your questions in the mailbag. Mike, what do you have to lead us off
5: with? All right, guys, so just an overarching roster question here. Did you guys expect more of a shakeup on the depth chart coming out of the bye week?
3: No, I mean, I think if you do major shakeups, you know, just drastic, like, fan resets where fans just want you to blow everything up, you blow the whole season up at that point. I think if... You made like a we're going to start Bryce Benhart and Ethan Piper and we're going to start Ramir Johnson at running back and we're going to you know pull the red shirt off Ty Robinson and and, I mean you come up with all these grand plans it sounds good in theory um, but there's a reason why it hasn't happened yet because it's probably those guys aren't ready and I think if you did something like that you'd almost be throwing the talent for the season so I think you got to ride with the guys that Got you here to this point, the guys that have grinded and, and earned these spots. Uh, but y- you got to challenge them to play better.
4: Yeah, I think it's there's a fine line. I, I agree, I don't think you make any drastic changeups with Blow the starting lineups, but at the same time, I also think the staff needs to be more willing to give other guys chances to play in games, true. I agree, and not only play but play meaningful reps, get the ball and see what they can do. Uh, I think the staff has been so hesitant to throw guys out there because they're afraid of what might happen when, uh, the only way you're going to become a good football player in games is by playing in games, what you do in practice is only going to take you so far, especially as a young player. You have to experience it in a real live bullet situation in a game. And right now there's too many guys on this roster that we keep hearing about how close they are and, uh, you know, how they're, they're just about ready to make an impact. But they're never getting those opportunities. So no, I don't think it's time to completely shuffle everything as far as a starting lineup concerned. But I also think the depth chart could pro- probably use a few new faces in there to see what they can do.
2: Yeah, I would, I'd agree with that. And call me crazy, but I feel like once Nebraska, if they if they get to six wins, get bowl eligible, then I think we might see some more drastic changes. They um, need those
3: practices though, right, Nate? I mean, they need yeah, to get. You
2: have to. You no matter what you had this team. I mean, the bear. Bones minimum has to be making it to a bowl game so I think they have to do whatever they can do to get to that point and and I never thought in a million years that I'd be kind of saying that about this season but it's just the reality of how things have kind of unfolded but I think once they get there then we might see some more shakeups because now they would know that uh, okay we've got these extra practices and we've we've made we've made it to the bowl game
5: you know cut off. All right, guys, you know, kind of building off of what uh, Robin and Nate had to say, do you guys think the coaches can, in a sense, force feed an offensive line rotation to build depth? As in, should the coaches make a departure from their best five approach?
3: No, I, I think an offensive line needs chemistry. Um, and you, you don't see a team rotate that often, maybe one guy in here and there. Um, but you have to build a line of communication and a chemistry, and you've got to have that going um, throughout an entire game because – Guys talk to each other and they communicate calls and checks throughout the game. And if you bring in someone that you haven't done it very often with, it throws off the whole chemistry of your line. So it sounds good in theory. Um, but, you know, Milt Tenenberg, back in the day, people were like, oh, he, they, the reason they played a lot of linemen is they blew people out by every, yeah, you every can pull game. your
4: starters at halftime and then play everybody else to, in mop-up duty. Nebraska hasn't had that luxury in a long time. So, yeah, I, I agree that uh, – you know, offensive line is probably the most there's not probably it is the most difficult position to put in young players uh just because it is the biggest transition especially in this conference yeah I mean just physically I mean <laughs> there' very there's a reason why very few players as true freshmen have ever played on the offensive line not only in Nebraska but in most power programs uh, around the country so it's just it's it's hard you have to be a special talent or being in very special circumstances to get that opportunity and to keep it so uh, i i agree with how uh, delicately they're handling guys like ben hart and piper but you know if they can get anywhere near a situation where those guys can just get a taste of it you know if they could finally get a lead at some point you know where the game's comfortable uh get those guys reps because, I mean, that's the future of your offensive line and the more experience you can get them earlier, uh, the better, in my opinion.
2: I think the one guy that we could see, you know, enter into somewhat of a rotation situation would be Brock Bando uh, there at the interior offensive line, you know, at that guard spot or guard spots possibly. Uh, I know that's something that Greg Austin talked about earlier in the week is, is maybe wanting to get Bando some more reps there so they can keep those guys healthy inside um, but yeah outside of that I just I don't really anticipate a whole lot of uh, rotating going on unless you're able to to insert a, a guy like Ben Harder or Piper here or there down the road.
5: All right guys, so as far as a bowl game goes for Nebraska, and the schedule still has that goal out in front of them out in front of the Huskers. Who would you guys like to see Nebraska play in? Maybe what bowl game would you like to see? <sighs> um
3: yeah, I mean obviously bowl game still two wins away for Nebraska, but I mean, I wouldn't mind going if they got to like six or seven wins, if they could go to Jacksonville or San Francisco, um, those ones jump out. I mean, if you go to Jacksonville, you're going to play an SEC team, probably a lower level SEC team. Uh, I don't know, you know, the way that SEC's fallen this year. I mean, there isn't, you know, there's a lot of good teams and then there's a lot of bad teams. So Mm -hmm. it's hard to say who would be in that six, seven win category. But I think anytime you play an SEC team, it's fun. Um, and then the Red Box Bowl, I believe it's called Red Box is still a thing, by the way. Do you guys rent <laughs> from Red Box?
5: No. You see him at Quick Shop every now and <laughs> yeah,
2: then. It's, wa- it's always at Walgreens. Yeah. Um, yeah, Walgreens is when I've done
5: it recently,
2: it's been from Walgreens.
3: I bet. How many late fees have you ever paid on a Red Box? I don't
4: think, I don't know that I ever have.
3: It's only like a buck a day. Yeah. But they got and, enough And bu-
4: eventually you just own it. Like, <laughs> <after> <laughs> you pay enough uh, late fees on it. So. But
3: the Red Box Bowl would be fun just to go back to San Fran. Um, you know, weather's not a, a, great there that time of year, but yeah, you know, it's a great place to visit.
4: A sneaky game that I've had my eye on, assuming they just stick around that six or seven win mark, is the Armed Forces Bowl in Fort Worth. Now, it doesn't sound like much, but the game is. <laughs> The game is on January 4th, so you would be able to get all your holiday in uh, without very missing any family time, uh, get to go to Fort Worth, which is a really cool town. If you haven't been there, they got an awesome downtown scene with a lot of live music going on down there, uh, and I think fans would enjoy that uh you play a mountain west team and so right now you might I mean, have to play like wyoming, wyoming wyoming or air force yeah. I don't know or if you, something like that
3: man i don't know if you want a part of that though losing to a mountain west team or something would be bad i mean you don't, you don't have much to gain in that game or the detroit bowl by playing a group of five program
4: yeah well i think just getting to a bowl is important I don't, I don't think you worry about who you're playing
3: yeah at this time i don't know if you know beggars
2: can be choosers exactly uh <laughs> right now but I, I think that uh yeah I, just make it to a bowl game. I don't know if it really matters who you play or where you go. Um, yeah, ideal matchup would probably be you know making it to Jacksonville or San Francisco. I guess those are probably the two most likely. And if you could play – New like, York. A, we haven't even talked or about or New York. York. Yeah, New York too. Uh, I think one projection I saw was Nebraska versus Duke in the pinstripe bowl. Um yeah, yeah. Boy that yeah, doesn't that get you riled up? Um and then one was, you know, Nebraska, Mississippi State in Jacksonville, Nebraska, Arizona State and in, uh, in San Francisco. I don't know. I mean, I think at this point you'd take any of those just
5: because nothing's guaranteed That's at this thing. point. All right, Mike,
3: you got any quick one word ones we can end like a one word answer one to end on here, anything fast?
5: Yeah, I got something for you. So it is alternate uniform week this week. Give me your favorite and least favorite alternate uniform.
3: Favorite one was the throwback one in 90 in 2007 or 17 when they 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 wore the 97, the 97 jersey yeah those are sweet least favorite one was the one that was like the Wisconsin win where you couldn't read the numbers. Yeah,
4: yeah. Those were terrible the, with the big N and the big W in yep. Wisconsin where those because you couldn't see who the player was. So, uh, yeah, and then favorite, I love the all iced-out whites they wore at Northwestern. Those were sweet.
2: My favorite would be the black ones they wore against UCLA in, what was it, 2013 or something like yep. that. I think that, that was my favorite so far.
3: The miss sack by Avery Moss that turned the whole game yep. around when mm. Brett – was it Brett Hunley Hun- Yeah, Hunley score yep. right before half, but yep. – should be a fun one. Uh, when we come back, we will talk some recruiting with Nate Klaus as Nebraska's going to have more of a walk-on recruiting weekend. We'll get Nate's thoughts
0: on that and more. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics.
3: Football is a game where you don't, I guess, unlike maybe basketball or hockey where you have a million games, you, you only have a limited amount of games. and uh, you, you tend to kind of live and die each week, and uh, as hard as it is to recover from losses, you got no choice because you got to get ready to work every week, especially in a conference like this. So everybody feels their lumps, but at the same time, uh, you know you got to have a positive mindset when you get to work. And we're back here on the Husker Alliance Show, final segment of the program. And this program, uh, this segment is brought to you by Kugler Vision. Nate Klaus, tell them about your experience with Cougar Vision.
2: Yeah, so far, so good. I mean, I it took a took our first big recruiting road trip this past week, and uh, uh, it was so nice not having to travel with your glasses or your contacts or any of that stuff, uh, being able to drive at night in in, uh, in a strange place, read all the, the road signs, be able to watch the game without glasses, see everything perfectly clear. Uh, unbelievable experience, and, and I highly encourage everybody to get down to Cougar uh, Vision and, and get that consultation to see what they can do for you.
3: Well, Nate, it was the a bye week for Nebraska coaches out on the road. Um, a lot of them went out Wednesday. I think Scott Frost got out Friday and Saturday. Uh, just two or three things you walked away with. I know you ran into some coaches um, in the airport and on the road both when yeah. you were traveling. So you, you, I think you saw Mario Verduzco and Sean Beckton out and about too. Uh, just a few things you walked away with over the bye week.
2: Well, uh, you know, first and foremost, it was it was abundantly clear that they were checking up on their commitments and, and going around and, and seeing those guys first and foremost and, and making sure to show them attention, make sure that, um, you know, they knew that they were there. I know Mario Verduzco um, was at the same uh, game that we were at down there to see Logan Smothers, and he showed up about 1 o'clock or so on Friday and hung out with them. Their entire football staff for uh, you know about four or five hours and kind of I guess <laughs> I guess he kind of held court in their uh, in their field house with the entire staff and um, and really showed everyone a lot of attention. Now, obviously, he can't really talk and, and communicate a whole lot with the actual prospects, but it was, it was, uh, he made a great impression on that coaching staff for as much time as he spent there. And obviously, he stayed for the game and whatnot. Um, you know, we know that, uh, you know, Sean Beckton was, was in Florida seeing, uh, Timon Lynham, the, the, the defensive back commit, Marvin Scott, running back commit. Um, I know that, uh, Coach, uh, you know, the defensive backs coach Travis Fisher was in South Florida seeing seeing his Florida commits. They were in Georgia. I mean, they were everywhere, seeing basically all of the commits. A handful of new offers did go out, but it was uh, you know it was pretty clear that they wanted to make sure and show their current commitments as much love as possible this first bye week.
3: And Nate, sticking on the subject of commits. Um, you know, we talk about this all the time, but how many it's becoming more and more of a trend of their current list of commits. How many are enrolling early right now that you know of? Well, as things stand
2: right now, there's four for sure. Uh, you got Turner Corcoran uh, Logan Smothers, Henry Gray and Rodney Gross that are all uh, planning to be early enrollees uh, that are they're set to sk- to graduate in December and will be on campus in January. So um, and then you've got you've got a couple others that are working to get there. Uh, I mentioned Timon Lynham earlier. He's he's one of those guys that is trying to finish up a couple classes that way he can graduate in December. Uh, and same with Savion Morrison, uh, the running back out of Oklahoma. He he's also trying to get ahead on a couple of classes that way he can graduate early. Um, you know, it's still kind of up in the air, but those guys are, are trying to arrange it. So I would say right now, you know, a maximum of, of probably six recruits in this class will be early enrollees, which would be you know pretty much right on par. Maybe maybe one or two more than what we've seen over the last handful of years. But um, you know, I think when you look at the type of talent that is potentially coming in early, uh, that's what stands out most to me when you're talking about, you know, Turner Corcoran is a, a Rivals 100 four-star guy, Henry Gray, four-star guy, Logan Smothers, four-star guy, uh, you know, Rodney Gross you, in, in Sevion Morrison, you could make an argument that they probably should be ranked as four-star players. So a lot of talent that could possibly be coming in early.
3: And, Nate, that's one thing. With the process of recruiting being sped up so much more, I think the one real positive with that is it allows kids to get their academics in line and enroll early where years ago, I mean, really not that long ago, you know, a lot of recruiting happened in January and you didn't sign guys um, early and it was a lot harder. But now with everybody making decisions in March and April and May and June, it allows people ample time to graduate high school early and do this.
2: Yeah, it really does. And I think, you know, shoot, even a couple years ago, you know a lot of times you didn't have any offers until you know f- f- you know the camp season before your senior year and and by that time for most kids you know it's a little too late to to go ahead and and get things in order to to graduate early. You know, I think for the most part, um, the way things are now, I mean, I think it's become a lot more common. First and foremost, so schools kind of have an idea of how to handle it, and then you know, usually at a lot of these schools, there's been players that have done it before. Counselors know the map it, they, to can, get it done. Exactly, they they kind of have they kind of have a map to to say, okay, well this is this is what we've got to do. If you wanna do this, here's the road we have to go down. And and so it's just becoming way more common. Plus, like you said, the the process in general is being sped up so much more that um, you know a lot of these kids have a handful of offers by the time they're sophomores in high school. And so th- then you can really plan things out and go ahead and, and make sure that you're ready to to be, you know, on a college campus somewhere of January of what should be your senior year,
3: and Nate, the number right now uh, for commits, I mean, our signees, I mean, it looks about like twenty-three. Sounds about right, just from the numbers we, because they they have to save a couple for the portal too. I think.
2: Yeah, absolutely, I think that's kind of been the target number for for a long time, and I don't see it really changing a whole lot. I think it'll be right around twenty-three, but um, that they sign by the time February rolls around, the majority of those guys will sign in December. But um, yeah, and I think you want to hold back a couple a couple guys for the transfer portal uh, because you never really know what's what's going to be out there. Not to say that that they're for sure going to take you know two or three guys in the transfer portal, but but I think you 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 definitely want to to have one or two in your back pocket for. Uh, for some transfers and as we've seen you know the the way this season has kind of unfolded there's definitely some spots that they could use some immediate uh, help at
3: and Nate you were at Logan Smothers game Uh, you've been to a lot of games in your time you've seen a lot of Nebraska quarterback recruits Um, what jumped out to you about Logan Smothers
2: you know, I, I think the thing that jumped out to me the most is just being able to. You know, there's certain things that you can't see when you're when you're watching someone's highlight film, right? You know, it's it's how they how they carry themselves, what type of leader are they, uh, what kind of command do they have of the offense, and I think that's what one thing that really stood out to me is Logan Smothers. You know when he when he's getting to the line and reading the defense, uh, he's calling audibles. He's he's making sure guys are in their right spots and changing up the plays and everything. And um, and that really stood out to me. He has complete and total command of the offense. Uh, he's he's definitely a leader. He's somebody that the team really looks up to. You know on the sidelines, he's going up to guys and saying, hey, you know, talking through things and 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 telling them, you know, next time look for this or next time I'm going to look for you here or there or whatever. Or when you see this, you know. Uh, know, know that I'm gonna, I'm gonna be putting the ball here for you and. Uh, that really stood out to me, and then just the overall accuracy and um, and just how fast that he gets the ball out. Um, you know, he ended up being twenty one to twenty seven on the night, but he probably should have been closer to twenty five to twenty seven. He had a handful of drops, a couple of which would have been touchdowns. Um, every single pass that he threw was virtually right on the money, and and so um, there were a couple that were broken up. You know, really good plays by the defense, but for the most part. Every single pass was on the money. Very accurate. Um, it just really checked all the boxes that, that Mario Verduzco and uh, Scott Frost really like. Uh, and you know, to be honest with you, it kind of reminded me a lot of what we saw from Luke McCaffrey last year. Except Logan Smothers is much farther ahead physically, I believe. <laughs> and mechanically than what we saw from Luke McCaffrey last year. Um, as we know, McCaffrey was an early enrollee too, and, and so will Smith. Also others, a coach's son. And also a coach's son. And so, um, you know, and I was talking with some people about this earlier this week. You know, you, all of a sudden, Nebraska's quarterback room is going to be as deep and as talented as it has been in a very, very long time when you look at Adrian Martinez coming back, Noah Vedral coming back, Luke McCaffrey. Bunch. And then, you got three guys in there right now that
3: smothers. have started a game at Nebraska. Yeah. When's the last time that's happened?
2: I I don't I don't I mean you it's been at least 15 years at least. Since you've had well, I
3: mean, you've had Riker Fife and Ron Kellogg. I'm trying to think if that that was that was different years though. Yeah, I, mean, I think when,
2: that was different years. I it's been a very long time since you've had a quarterback room that will have that type of talent and experience in it. So uh, to me, that's really exciting, and and I can't wait to see what Logan Smothers does once he, when he gets on campus because um, you know I, I believe he's a guy that has a very bright future.
3: Well, it's going to be a busy weekend as the Hoosiers come to town. It would be a two thirty game. Uh, seen on the big 10 network so make sure you log on to huskeronline.com as we will keep you up to date on everything you need to know that comes out of saturday
0: thanks again for joining us this week on husker online your authority on nebraska athletics